Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, she is one of the most celebrated actresses of her generation. Her Broadway roles, her screen roles, all of them iconic. She's an Academy Award-nominated performer, but also she has just dropped her first album, Born in a Trunk, 10 songs that she has cherry-picked that represent her life. As she described it to me, it's like her memoir in an album, Welcome, Amy Irving, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the actress and singer Amy Irving. Amy made her first stage appearance when she was nine months old. By the time she was 10, she had already been in many, many plays. She made her off-Broadway debut at the age of 17, and from that moment on, She has received critical acclaim, appearing in plays like Heartbreak House, The Road to Mecca, Broken Glass, The Three Sisters Ghosts, among others. In 1976, she made her film debut in Carrie. She went on to star in The Fury, The Competition, Yentl, for which she received an Academy Award nomination, Anastasia, Crossing Delancey, and so many more. Recently, Ms. Irving has released an incredible album called Born in a Trunk, I am so honored and thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Amy, for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, we were talking before we started recording. We have so many random connections. One of them, though, is at the time that you filmed Crossing Delancey, my boyfriend at the time was cast as Peter Riegert's younger brother uh, at the pickle store. His name was Michael Ornstein. And if was like the biggest thing that could have happened to a young actor starting out in his career. So I visited the set. I just really remember that film being one of those films as woman. It was just so meaningful. A, to see someone with like out a blow dry on screen, uh, that alone was a huge thing. But that was just one of those movies that was a touchstone. As it turns out, like my big fat Greek wedding, like it didn't matter if you were Greek. It didn't matter if you were Jewish. It just had this universal story that if you had a family, which most humans do, uh, it was a touchstone for people. And I know you've done so many things before and since, but I'm curious, is that movie something that remains a special memory for you? Or is it just one of many things that you've done? Oh, it's very special to me. Okay, (laughs) Um, I had an amazing time making it because it was, you know, like a there I was shooting in on the streets of New York City, which is, you know, for any actor, we all, that's just, that's the coolest place to be shooting, except maybe Paris. Yeah. And, uh, 
I was working with uh, all women, you know, with uh, Joan Micklin Silver and Susan Sandler wrote the play that it was based on. And she wrote the screenplay and it was a woman's story. And it just uh, it felt really comfortable and and really um, uh, um, intimate. You know, you could you could pull your director aside and just say, you know, when I'm changing in the, in the changing room, can you, can you get this side? Because I don't want to be there. I mean, she, you can just talk girly stuff and feel protected, you know, and Joan took really good care of me. And, uh, and when I saw the film, I don't usually, I usually see a film once. Uh, and I watched it with my mother and my stepfather and just the three of us in a movie in, in the theater. And I remember and when it was over, turning around to them and just saying, wow, I really like this film. And I don't say that about many things that I've done. So it was nice to really enjoy it. And now we have screenings occasionally at uh, uh, people invite us to, you know, Film Forum and they, other places. Peter Riegert and Joan and I have done Q&As and presented the films. And it still plays so well. I mean, to sit in an audience, and I'd never seen it with an audience before until I started doing these screenings, and to hear the response, and it gets a lot of laughs, and people people really uh, uh, are, are, are so warm about it and so loving about it, and, and people who are affected by it are very... Uh, the other day, I was doing an uh, interview and the, and for Vanity Fair, actually, and, and he asked me to meet him at this bookstore on the Lower East Side. It was called Pickle uh, 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 Pickle Books. I think it's called Pickle Books. The Pickle Bookstore. And it was literally this woman uh, 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 was inspired by Cross and Delancey. And, 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 and the whole store is kind of sells books and pickles, like my character. And that was a, ran a bookstore. And it's just it was so touching. She wasn't there the day we went, but her mother opened the store for us. And her mother was crying and I didn't know what was wrong. And she just, it was like the culmination of, wow, we, we, <laughs> I saw this film with my daughter and it's my daughter's favorite film. And, and she lost her job during, during COVID and she started this bookstore and it just was kind of, it just, it meant something to a lot of people. I know Peter Riegert says that, you know, the amount of women that come up to him about being at the pickle man and women come up to me and say, you know, I'm still looking for my pickle man. And yeah, I think it's the one that has resonated. Uh, I got, I've had the most feedback uh, of right. films. I mean, for, Carrie, for decades. I think, yeah, Carrie was a big one too, but uh, Cross and Delancey has been kind of the one that uh, keeps coming back at me. As a matter of fact, I'm going out uh in April to with Peter to present it uh, at the TCM festival because it's the 50th anniversary of Warner Brothers and they're having they're showing Cross and Delancey there so it's like oh okay so literally the day after my concert in New York I fly to LA for that I went from feeling like uh, life my my career was over to to being very busy <laughs> that's incredible well well I mean when you mentioned Carrie you're you're film your screen debut again is like something that I mean it's niche right in the world of horror or or whatever Carrie is that is a really long lasting impactful film yeah well it's it's one of one of the better B movies out there yeah 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 well I said in your bio you know you're probably I mean I have a lot of guests who were children actors but nine months probably is the youngest and I know in part in in 
my having the great joy of sort of deep diving into your career the last couple of weeks, gearing up for today. Um, what a remarkable family that you were born born in uh, in a trunk to. Um, your mom, just this glorious actress, and, and your father, director. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some people grow up and really run from the family business, and some people just really, as you did, like not just go into it, but study deeply the craft and not just be a Nepo baby, as it were, but really like, deeply immerse yourself in it my father was was adamant about um passing on values as to what this craft is about Mm. you know um i don't i i never thought i wanted to be a a a famous rich actress i thought i was always going to be a poor struggling stage actress i just assumed you know because our family you know any money that, that the theater made went back into the theater I, I wore my brother's clothes. <laughs> I mean, it was, we lived, we lived very frugally and I just thought that's the lifestyle I was going to have. And, uh, you know, theater quietly done somewhere in the sticks. That didn't matter to me, you know, but, um, but he also uh, instilled a professionalism in me. Um, he was very strict as far as uh, uh, taking it seriously Um when I was uh, actually the cover of the album "Born in a Trunk" is a picture of my mother as a wallabaloo, a wicked wallabaloo, in a musical children's theater called uh, uh, "The Magic Butterfly" that my father wrote, and I was the princess that got turned into a butterfly, and uh, mom, mom was putting on my makeup uh, in that in that on the cover, uh, getting me ready. I wasn't three yet. Um, my, that was my first speaking role. <laughs> I was the baby in Rumpelstiltskin and at nine months, but I was my first speaking role. I was Princess Primrose. I couldn't say my, my one line, which was my name is Princess Primrose. All I got out was my name is Princey Rosie. That was the best I could do at that time. <laughs> but uh, one day uh, we were touring around uh, the Bay Area, uh, which my dad's company, the San Francisco Actors Workshop, uh, uh, did it on weekends. And I got really, the cartel, I'm just waiting for it to pass. It got, I don't know if you heard it, but, um, I didn't, I didn't. I thought, is she crying? What's happening? No, 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 not yet. Uh, (laughs) I cry a lot these days, but, um, no, but I was, uh, I got really into the putting more lipstick on backstage while the, while I was off stage. I'd already done my role and I'd finished acting and I was putting lipstick on and I missed my curtain call. And my dad, he gave me hell, really. I mean, he just said, Amy, you have been giving to that those children for an hour and 15 minutes and it was their moment to give back to you and you weren't there. Believe me, I mean, I'm never late for anything. I mean, I, I, have, I have, I have a lot of neuroses from that experience. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit crazy for, from from that moment on. But uh, it did, it did. The work was important. The truth of the work was important. Not about anything else, but finding the truth. You know. So, mm. yeah. Uh, growing up, growing up in a theater family, um, for some people that might have been a, a nightmare. For me, it was so much fun. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
I mean, I loved being on the stage and I loved, uh, I did my first grown-up play. I was in Durmont's Marriage of Mr. and Mississippi. And I was, I was in a jail suit with wings and I danced out of a grandfather's clock. I mean, this is fun stuff. I got to stay up late at night. Um, mom and dad really kind of thought of, uh, of theater as our religion. And we, uh, we were always together. Um, I fell asleep at the theater at night. Mom was on the show in a play and, and all three of us kids would either be in the wardrobe department asleep on the old costumes, or we'd be put in the second row center. So mom, as she's playing Viola in 12th night can see out of the corner of her eye, her three children falling asleep there, you know? So, I mean, that was, that was so much of our life. And then, uh, when I was 11, my dad got uh, offered uh, Lincoln Center Repertory Theater and we all moved to New York. And, uh, and, and I got to be in plays with mom all the time and more, more, more on the stage in San Francisco. Lincoln Center, I, only, uh, I did a walk on in The Country Wife with Stacey Keach. I sold him a guinea pig. <laughs> but so yeah. at 11, you moved to New York and, and your family stayed there. And, and that was, did you go to high school in New York? Yeah, we were we, we stayed in New York uh, uh, until I went until after high school, uh, I went off to London to drama school. Well, first I went to ACT in San Francisco. And then when I was in London, my my family moved to Los Angeles because my dad uh, got offered work as a director in television. And my mom was and she was like she was on Dallas. You know? <laughs> she was Victoria Principal's mother on Dallas for several seasons. Um so yeah, we lived in New York uh, from uh, up until up until I graduated from high school. I went to high school of music and art for two years. Uh, I studied the violin. Uh, I'm actually on an album, uh, the Manhattan Borough-wide Orchestra. Uh, I, but I'm like the last stand, second violins. I was like the worst person in it, but I did play the. I, I'm. I liked music and art and that was fun. And then after two years there, I went to, I started working professionally. And uh, so I went to where my school, my mother went to, which was professional children's school. They accommodate your schedule. So right. I, I was doing like, a, I was doing an off, off, off Broadway play called And Chocolate on Her Chin when I was 16. And uh, they, they would let me, they would let me come and go and do, you know, some of the, some of the courses on correspondence. When you say that growing up the way you did, and obviously a family so deeply rooted in theater um, and the religion of theater, as you just described it. So how did this, you know, when you said, I never imagined myself a, a famous film actress, how did that happen? Like, where did the paths sort of converge? And then, I mean, you always kept doing theater, which is why everybody, I mean, it's just awesome that you have because theater is hard <laughs> it's so hard I mean it's all hard but it's a different kind of hard how yeah. did film come into your life and how did that journey begin well when I finished uh, three years in London at drama school London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art coming home my because my parents had moved to Los Angeles coming home was to Los Angeles and I hadn't really thought about what I was going to do next that's my you're making a lot of noise lapping up that water, Jules. <laughs> this is a very dog-friendly podcast. All, <laughs> all the dogs are welcome. Oh, good. Um, I Coming home from drama school, uh, I my parents now lived in Los Angeles. So 
And before I got off the airplane, uh, my mother's agent, Nicole David, saw a picture of me on my mom's piano and said, who's that and can I have her? <laughs> so I had an agent when I arrived and I was like, I immediately uh, uh, went to the Free Shakespeare Theater uh, in the Hollywood Hills and did Romeo and Juliet by night. But by day I was, hi Jules, but by day I was uh, doing Happy Days, Police Woman, I mean, the Rookies. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was doing those kind of things. And then uh, the first year I was in Hollywood, um, uh, I got Carrie. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, George Lucas and Brian De Palma were conducting um, auditions together because George was looking for his Princess Leia and his his cast and and Brian was looking for his cast and since they were all the same age they they combined it so we all I mean how terrifying is that your first year in Hollywood and there I am sitting in a room with Brian De Palma and George Lucas um, it was. Uh, uh, it was daunting. <laughs> and are but, you reading sides for both? Are, are you reading yeah, for both of well, them, for both well, projects? Was, well, first you met with them. And then I did a screen test for George. I'm a, I was actually second runner up for Princess Leia. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can actually see my screen test on uh, YouTube. It's just awful. I don't know how I even got to be second place. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, you're trying to... Uh, Imagine having never heard of Star Wars before right. and you get a script that says, and then R2-D2 and C-3PO and you've got all the, it's like speaking a foreign language. I didn't really know what I was saying. Of course not. But when, when I look at the screen test, it was like, you know, oof, awful. But, uh, and meanwhile, Brian De Palma was, was conducting weeks of auditions where we, we'd all, different, different groups of kids would get together and we would do improvs in his apartment and we'd do screen tests and we were put through through it, you know. And Brian actually helped me on my audition for my screen test for Star Wars because he said, this is going to be a much bigger film. You should you should get this film, Amy. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> okay. So he but, just was a fan right away. He was a good man. He actually introduced me to my first husband. He set me up on my first two dates with him. That is so, so they were friends and he was like, you should meet Steven. Well, what happened was, I, I don't think, I think he was never enamored of Steven's girlfriends at the time. And, and he had a, Brian had a girlfriend. He just thought, he just thought that we would like each other. And what he did though, was he sent me in to audition, to meet a, a meeting at Universal Studios with Steven for, to play the mother of a four-year-old in Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Well, I mean, I, at the time I looked about 12 and I walked into the office and Stephen said, you know, you're too young for this part. And I said, yeah, I know. Uh, Brian had said, go, go party all night or something. <laughs> go in looking old or whatever. And but we, we talked. We had a nice conversation, Stephen and I. We, I was in the office for about an hour and then I left. And then Brian said, so did he ask you out? And I said, no. And he called Steve and he said, did you ask her out? And he said, I'm not going to ask her out in a professional uh, situation. That's right. so unprofessional. I would never do that. So he said, so then Brian set up a dinner with Brian and his then girlfriend, Marty Scorsese and his then wife and Steven Spielberg and me. I mean, like I drank a lot that night. Yeah. 
but uh, we we started seeing each other then, and we were we were living together pretty quickly after that. Were you because because my memory is foggy? Were you suddenly thrust? Sure. Into... Wait, you're going to ask me something, and my memory is probably foggier than yours. Well, this is pre-social media, so life was easier. You could be. Uh, people who both were in the entertainment industry and be out and about without it kind of creating the frenzy that maybe it would now, like growing up without social media was just a much easier time. But were you immediately thrust into sort of being a famous couple? And did you have to adjust to that at the time? You know, Stephen and I, I mean... I know we had a certain cachet. We weren't that interesting a couple to anybody. So people you know? weren't chasing you and going through your garbage. It didn't feel yeah. like that. We weren't, we weren't a very, we were kind of a, a boring couple, I would guess. Um, as a matter of fact, um, we used to have to have a, a sec- security guards travel with us um, once Max was born because of um, threats and fears. Uh, and, uh, uh you know, there were threat, uh, there were certain dangers involved in, you know, kidnapping. There were all, you know, uh, it was things that uh, uh, probably Stephen was more fearful of than I was. I used to just throw white light around them and be fine, you know, but he, we had two security guards with us all the time. One of St- Max's and my favorite pastimes when, when he was very little was to lose the security guards. We'd be walking down New York streets and we'd cut down an alley and lose them just because like, that was, but what, what was really funny was uh, one of the security guards uh, threatened us with uh, writing a book because he was with us so much. I mean, he was with us even when we almost got married. We were in we were we were in Vegas at one point. We thought about getting married, but then I thought, I don't want to. I don't want my security the security guards to be our witnesses. That wasn't the way to do it. But uh, he threatened to write a book, and Stephen and I just looked at each other and burst out laughing because it's like, what's he gonna say? <laughs> they ate spaghetti on Tuesday. Yeah, as a matter, you know. Um, I got a worse time fame fame wise when I was married to my second husband because he was very big in Brazil, Bruno Barreto, because uh, he had directed Donna Flor and her two husbands. So he was he was like a very 20, 21 when he did that. He was a big deal. And uh, so when I went down there pregnant with our child, uh, I was eight months. Pre- I think I was seven and a half months pregnant. I was in Buzius, Brazil, which is two hours outside of Rio. It was a, a little town that Bridget Bardot put on the map because she went there with her Brazil, to a fishing village with her Brazilian lover and it became the San Tropez of Brazil. And uh, Bruno had a house there and he, my first time there and I had no Portuguese yet. And I'm, he had to go into Rio and I'm, I'm, I'm on the back patio veranda balcony off, off the bedroom. And, uh, I'm home alone, except, I mean, well, in Brazil, you're never alone. I mean, there's the couple that lives there. Dona Maria was there and Kailinhos was there, but I did I couldn't speak to them because I didn't speak Portuguese and they didn't speak English. And I am I thought, okay, well, Bruno's gone for the day, so I'm going to put hair conditioner in my hair and I'm going to get into a bikini, even though I'm seven and a half months pregnant, and I'm going to go sit out on the, the hammock. And just as I was getting into the hammock and I'm very carefully with my belly and everything. And I'm good. I suddenly hear click, 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 click. And a paparazzi had showed up on the beach 
and started taking pictures of me. Now I have hair conditioner in my hair. I have a bikini. I am seven and a half months pregnant. I, I, I did not want to be photographed. And I ended up putting the hammock over my head. So now that you've just got this person hanging there with a hammock over her head with just a leg sticking out. And I think, oh, well, there's a great picture for the magazines. And I'm just, I'm just horrified. And I, I remember going in and I'm, I, I don't know what to do. And I go and I, and I call my mother in Los Angeles. I, say, I don't know what to do. I'm gonna, this is going to be the most humiliating moment of my life and whatever. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and then the phone rings and it's Bruno's grandmother. And she speaks enough English for me to say, tell her what had happened. And she she got in touch with Bruno, who got in touch with uh, the various newspapers and found out who it was and managed to squash it. So, but somewhere out there, there's a photo of me with very pregnant with a hammock over my head. I really, if we can find that, my work is done. My work is done. Well, I've never there seen you it. go. I don't know. I don't know what happened to it. Well, you've been doing this a really long time. And I mean, I, I want to get to the album, which we will, because when you brought up the last name of your son, who was so involved now in this record and in your singing, but but I do want to talk a little bit about um, Yentl, which is another film speaking of actresses who sing. Barbara Streisand is, is another one. Um, you just keep finding yourself in these cultural moments in cinema. Um, that are just so incredibly long lasting and also have, um, you know, again, there's a lot of Jewish pride in that project as well, right? It's another story about a Jewish person. And yet, once again, it is so universally beloved. It's about somebody wanting into something they can't be in and finding a way to get in there and, and love, right? And, and that is such a uniquely beautiful film. And I wonder, did you audition for that movie? No, as a matter of fact, um, Barbara offered it to me and I turned it down. Because? Because I had found, I, I hadn't been on the stage for a while. Um, I did five films without doing a, a play. And when she offered it to me, I was seven months into a run on Broadway of Amadeus. Oh, and I right. just, loved being back on the stage yeah and that and show was incredible yeah it was a great show and I had you know working with Ian McKellen and Peter Firth who was I was a, I was having a, it was great to be back in New York it was great to be on the stage again and I really uh, didn't think I wanted to go do a film and also when I first read it it read like a sweet young thing and it just I didn't know the challenges and right I, I, I like to be challenged. I don't want to do anything I've done already. And and then Barbara said, could you come to my apartment on the Upper West Side and let's talk? <laughs> well, she was so impassioned about this project and it was such a dream for her. And, you know, when, when that kind of sensibility comes your way, you want to be a part of it, you know? I mean, she just, uh, she deserved to have make the film that she wanted to make. And she just, she, she I just knew I was going to be in good hands with her. And I'm really Did you glad. know her? Did you no. know her before? Did you know Mandy Patinkin? Did you know anyone involved? I did Where not. did that film? We were in, mostly in London. And then the exteriors were in Czechoslovakia. In Prague. Well, 
Prague in a place called Zagreb. Wow. And do you remember where you were when you found out you were nominated for an Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just share that? Well, it was funny because I mean, I I didn't even I didn't even know it was the day they were announcing because I don't think I don't imagine that's ever going to come my way. I mean, I, I I didn't think about those things in those days. I never and I'm I lived in I lived in a little house in Santa Fe at the time. I lived alone there and uh uh I got the phone call in the morning and uh I, I had my sister lived in Santa Fe too, so uh, I immediately got together with her so we could jump up and down. You know, it was pretty exciting. Um, uh, Who did you go to the ceremony with? That's funny because uh, Stephen called to uh, congratulate me. He and I had broken up. Uh, we'd been apart uh, for about three years now. Um, uh and he, uh, I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh yeah, he called to congratulate me. And he said, he said, well, I guess I'll be sitting at the television watching you that night. And that's when I said, well, you want to take me? And that's when we got back together. You know, it was literally the date that brought us back together. So that was a magical night. It was, and I was so relieved when I didn't win. Is that true? Can you oh my God. Well, what does I that knew, mean? Well, I, I, First of all, I, I knew I, 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 I knew that Linda Hunt was going to win for the year of living dangerously. Mm -hmm. But um, just as I sat down, uh, uh, Jim, Jim Brooks sat down next to me. He was nominated, too. And he said, Nick, the Greek says you're two to one. And I'm like, I have no speech ready. And, you know, luckily, uh, Best Supporting Actress is, is early on. So I didn't have to suffer long. But right. I, was, I was petrified because I didn't have anything prepared. And when they when they announced Linda Hunt, I was like, oh my god! I don't. I mean, I I I've won a I won a, a, a an Obie for uh, uh, Road to Mecca, and I I didn't know I had won. But when they had the ceremony, they invited me, and I declined to go. And they said, I think you should come. <laughs> You know, so I knew I knew yeah. I was winning. There was an inkling, yeah. And and I did prepare something. I was still terrified getting up I'm not very good at getting up in front of people as myself you know that's I think funny. that's why that's why getting up and singing as myself has been a challenge has been a big challenge because when you hide behind a character you know right. if somebody doesn't like what you're doing you can blame it on the character but if somebody right. doesn't like what you're doing as yourself that's you it's very vulnerable okay well let's talk about that because I know somehow you were the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit which is like a little known fact already that that people might not have even known. Um, so obviously, whether you sang in the shower and you know your friends knew that you sang, um, there there are times in the work as a character that you sang, Honey's Suckle Rose. I mean, how did you come to this moment? I mean, I just think you're extraordinary. All the things that you've done, all the challenges that you've taken on. Um, but singing is for some reason. It is terrifying if that is not how you see yourself, right? How you introduce yourself in the world professionally. So yeah. I know that your son has been highly encouraging, um, which is just so beautiful. I have a kid. I have a son. He's 16. I hope in my uh, 
in his adult life, he sees something in me that I don't know about yet. What a beautiful thing to have happen. Can it's, you talk a little bit about that? I got to tell you, my what what Gabriel and I have right now is like, we, 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 we pinch ourselves. We're like, how incredible that we're uh, do, taking this journey together. He 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 got me drunk and convinced me to cut an album with his band that he manages Ghoulis. and uh i've i'm a big fan of this band and uh i just i thought okay i'll do it you know and 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 gabriel uh, um we I could pick any songs I wanted at all to sing on the album. And 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 Jules David Bartkowski is a really wonderful arranger. Uh, right. he's a band leader. And um of Goulis. Uh, yeah, Goulis. His his he is Goul aka Goulis. That's what okay. it is. Okay. Well, because when when he was working and I can't remember what country he was in, but they couldn't pronounce his name Jules and they called him Goulis. And that's so what that's why that, that's how that that's why the, the band is called Goulis. But um, no, I had I had sung one song with him. Actually, um, it was a, a song that uh, Willie and Gabriel had written together. Willie Nelson and Gabriel had written together, and uh, uh, for a uh, for a film that Gabriel was involved in, and uh, which never came out, but uh, never it hasn't been finished yet. But uh, I did sing with the band for that one song uh, for fun, and 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 I really enjoyed it so much. So I thought. Why not? So uh, my husband, Ken Bowser, and I, we we thought about what songs we, we came up with the 10 songs from my life, my career, my 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 marriages, my family, my my any experiences. And these 10 songs, each one has a has a story behind how they how they arrived on this album. And. And I love what uh, Jules has done with him. It's like doing the Jessica Rabbit song, Why Don't You Do Right? He's done a completely different rendition. I mean, when I do it on the on in the movie, you know, it's very kind of sultry and 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 he's he's trying to brought it a high energy uh, version of it, very very New Orleans kind of feel to it, and uh, and it's really fun to sing. And uh, they. I that Rumpelstiltskin story. Uh, uh, my brother did the movie of Rumpelstiltskin thirty years later, when Max was nine months old. And uh, although Max is not the baby, uh, but uh, now Your my son Max, my son Max, yeah. yeah. So I played. I stepped into my mother's shoes. My mother was the Miller's daughter in the play when I was nine months old, and now I was the Miller's daughter. My mom was the nasty queen. And uh, my brother directed it. My brother David Irving directed the movie. So uh, one of the songs from that was called Queen of the Castle. So we do a song called Queen of the Castle, which was uh, uh, from, from that. I sing a song from Carrie. I sing a song from, uh, uh, I sing a song called uh, Errol Flynn, which is a song that relates to my losing my dad young. Um, uh, I sing. How old were you? I was 29. My dad was young. My dad was 54. Right. Way yeah. too young. Yeah. 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 I sing one of the, Willie wrote me a song called I'm Waiting Forever. Uh, uh, By the way, not many people can say the sentence. You just said <laughs> What did I just say? Willie Nelson wrote me a song. Just oh, yeah. by the way, just by the way, that's not normal, Amy. Yes. 
That's not normal. He's written. I bet you he's written Annie quite a few, as as he should. Yeah. But no, I he wrote me the song I'm waiting forever, and he sings on the album with me. So obviously, your son intuited that this was the right time, right? So much about life is just timing. It's like making space for it. I feel like the pandemic with all of its tremendous hardships opened up an incredible amount of creativity for people and also seems to have, uh, do you know Mary Steenburgen? I've met her. I don't... You know who she is. Like she's another person who's acting career had really, you know, for, for decades kind of satiated her creatively. And then one day she started writing songs and now like in earnest, she's like, uh, you know, she's, she's in Nashville when she's not acting, writing songs, like tremendous songs and recording songs. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing just for people to hear that there are there's no box that we have to put ourselves in, but sometimes someone has to encourage us, right? It's hard on our own. Had you ever done a cabaret show or any sort of evening of performing as you before this? No. No. So I know I'm speaking to you in March. A few days ago in New Jersey, you did the first concert of this material. I mean, it's one thing to do it in the safety of a studio with lots of takes if you need them and the camaraderie of your family, this band. That's that's terrifying, but safer than doing it in front of people. So you just did it. I'm getting to talk to you after the night. So can you talk, how did it go? How are you? You look fantastic. You, you survived it. How was it? It was fun. It was fun. It was scary. Uh, it wasn't as scary as I thought. We had, we actually did a, a dress rehearsal here in the barn, my house. Uh, the band all came out here and I invited 30 neighbors and we kind of did it so I can experiment with it. So I didn't go out there the first time. And right. and I have, you know, I, I had not done the patter with the, and the band needed to know what the show was. And so and you we, wrote a little, there's a script, there's material in between introducing each song, like a story about the song. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yep. And uh, uh, so it was, uh, 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 I'm learning different things, you know, like for instance, the sound here in the barn with all the wood was so resonant and so mm. fantastic. When the first concert, you know, it was a wonderful group of everything, but it's a stone church and, and stone church, you don't have, you don't get the same resonance, you know? Right. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm really looking forward to City Winery because everyone says you're going to really love the sound system and stuff and you'll be able to hear yourself. Sometimes if you can't hear yourself, we have a large band, you know, we have a lot of horns. And right. I mean, if you can't hear yourself sing, you don't know if you're singing it. I have no idea, but I have fun. And, you know, as long it as is. it's fun, I told Gabriel, I said I needed to do the barn show before he could I would let him commit to any 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 venues i said i need to know i can do it and i need to know it's fun to do if it's just terrifying what well, i don't need to do it what do you i mean i know how much i can only imagine how much you love music and how much music has just meant to you in your life as it does for so many of us for so many different reasons but what does this mean to you? Why are you doing this? What What is the surprise? Sometimes we think we're doing it for some reason, and then actually it turns out to be something 
Like for me, it would be enough. My son wants to do something with me. Like he's oh, 16. Okay. I, he won't do anything with me. <laughs> I'd be like, you want me to make an album? No problem. Will you be there? But beyond that, what has it turned into? Well, you know, during COVID, I really, uh, uh, I really thought a, it, it did make you realize what you want. It, it really made you sit back and stop and say, I mean, for everything else that was going on in the world, whatever, but for your, my own personal experience, I'm sitting, I'm home with my husband and my dogs. Um, we have a really lovely world here. And I was, and we played music every day. We made music every day. Uh, I don't write music. I wish I could, but um, uh, we, we played our guitars every day and I sang every day. And uh, I worked with my uh, singing coach, Celeste Simone, who's quite brilliant. And uh, I was just having fun with it, but it was, I didn't want to go back to acting in front of a camera. It just, you know, certain, th first of all, people would ask you to do things. And then, you know, with all the COVID restrictions and how long it took and, and the yeah. danger involved in it. And I just thought I, that I wasn't willing to risk anything for that. It just, I love the theater. Um, it's so much more fun doing theater than film because of the continuity and the, and the for me, the, the rehearsal period. I think that's the most fun thing about acting is yeah. an actor's playground and getting to play with your director and your other actors and being creative and you can fall on your face and you can discover and, you know, you don't get that in film. Not really. Right. Very few right. very few directors have much of a rehearsal going on, but um, that was really a, 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 I've lost my, I, I just didn't want to go back to even that because um, eight shows a week is, a lot and it is hard and it, it you know if tom stoppard came to me and said he's written a play for me i will be uh, back on the stage you know Fair it enough. has to be like that you know yeah, if, yeah. If it's not if it's not like the most amazing thing that ever happened to you i don't necessarily want to do that but this this singing thing when i i've i've I explained this to someone i've said this before but um when i'm acting on the stage like for instance, when I was doing Amadeus for nine months, maybe 10 times I walked off the stage having been totally at one with the character from the beginning to the end of the show. You know, it was kind of like that, that you know, outer body experience or inner body experience, whatever. I mean, just like uh, the truth of the character was in me and I didn't think about me. It wasn't, it wasn't me, it was the character, but consistently all through. And that, that's, that's like a high. It's almost like, you know, the, 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 the high that you chase, you know, and you're like, Oh, I need another fix of that. And it really is, it feels really good. And you, it's like the actors are interpretive uh, artists, you know? So when you can actually meld the marriage, the marriage happens, it just feels great. Well, when I get up on the stage and I sing these songs and tell my stories, I'm at one with my character all the time. I mean, I'm already at one with my character when I walk on stage. I don't, I get that. I mean, it's just, you get really, you get a, a real joy, thrill. And I got to say, having been isolated for all of us are so isolated and with our masks and our disconnect and our phones or whatever, to suddenly be looking out at people and having people look back at you and you're connecting with people again. And I felt like it was stepping back into life. 
That's incredible. And and oh. and I have my son Gabriel Barreto to thank for. It. Yeah. And, and then it, we are the recipients of that of that joy and and that community. Um I really hope to get to see you at City Winery. I think that will be incredible to get to see it um live and in person. Well, when is the I will, I will. Um it's in April, right? April 10th. It's a Monday. April 10th. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I would love to. Um, when does the album itself drop? When can people? Well, the it? single just dropped and a video just dropped of uh, Why Don't You Do Right. Um, the album drops, I believe, just before the City Winery show. Okay. So in early April. But I have one more question to ask you um, before I let you go. In honor of the name of this podcast, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Yes, there is. And it's a good one. Ooh. Listeners. When I was, I guess, about 15 years old, living in, in San Francisco, when I was at the Fillmore West watching B.B. King, Charles Manson invited me to Death Valley. Wait, and now we're ending the, the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can you promise me something? Yes. A, please come on again. But B, <laughs> please write a book. Just <laughs> please, you have, or, or get get a ghostwriter and just download all your stories to them if you don't want to have to sit alone in a room all day, because I, I get it. I kind of feel like this album for me is that. You know, I, I wow. tell, I, I do tell a lot of my story in this album, uh, in the stories that I tell about this. So this is, this is the, this is, this is sort of that. Well, for those of us lucky enough to get to see you in person perform, how lucky are we? And for everyone else who isn't in New York right now, I am sure Amy will continue to, to bring this show all over the globe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Willie's, then... Willie's told me I have to buy a bus now. All right. Well, if <laughs> Willie Nelson says buy a bus, you buy a bus. It's called Born in a Trunk. Amy Irving, thank you for sharing so much of your story with me today. And thank you for your just glorious, glorious work. It's really been um, very kind. Well, it's been really lucky for me that I'm born at a time where I get to see it. So thank you. And I wish you just the most wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. All right. Little known fact, now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on YouTube. That's right. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Subscribe and enjoy. Little Known Fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. The talent coordinator for this episode is John Zaytun. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.